You are listening to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. We shine a light on the topics that matter to digital and data leaders in the NHS. I'm Thomas Lyon, and I help connect digital leaders in the NHS with interim talent, and I am your host. The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of their organisation. So welcome everyone to today's podcast focusing on female leadership in the NHS. Um, thank you all for taking the time to participate, it's very much appreciated. So you all know me, but by way of introduction, I'm Thomas Lyon. I work for Evolution Recruitment in the NHS team and we're committed to helping people in NHS organisations realise their potential. So to bring that to life, our goal is to develop uh, deep relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing this easier. And what we're doing, so we're collaborating with NHS organisations, helping them build high performance digital teams and how we're doing this. So we do that through curating and sharing insights and industry best practice into the ever evolving NHS and digital industry. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing today as we share some of your insights from an individual perspective. So first off, what we'll do is we'll go around, do introductions. So if you could please introduce yourself, the trust you work for and your role within that trust. Um, Joanna, you're at the top of my screen. So would you mind going first, please? Not at all. Hi, I'm, my name is Joanna Paul. I'm Director of Operations at Ealing Hospital. I'm part of London Northwest um, Healthcare Trust, which covers the boroughs of Brent, Harrow and Ealing. That's an acute hospital. Brilliant. Thank you. Lisa, would you mind going next? Of course, uh, Lisa Henschen. I'm the Managing Director for the Borough-Based Partnership in Harrow um, and employed by Central London Community Healthcare Trust. Brilliant, thank you for that. Uh, and Alison, uh, last but not least, what would you like to go, please? Hi, I'm Alison Foster and I'm the Programme Director for Building Berkshire Together programme at the Royal Berkshire NHS Foundation Trust and that is the name for our hospital redevelopment programme. We're part of the um, uh, 48 new hospitals um, under the government scheme, the new hospital programme scheme. Brilliant. Thank you everyone for your introductions, appreciate it. So I understand you're probably all familiar with Teams, um, but a better flow of conversation if there is kind of a point that you'd like to make on someone else's point, if you could please use the raise your hand function, it just makes for a better flow of conversation and I'll come to you when possible. So you've all sent me some excellent questions um, and I'd like to invite uh, Joanna to ask the first question. So, Joanna's question is, so 76.7% of the NHS staff are women. In 2013, 33% of the senior leadership, executive and non-executive posts were held by women. And in a survey, a third reported a key factor was juggling childcare, wider family responsibilities and work commitments. In 2020, 2020 this figure has improved to 45%. Do you think the impact of COVID with a focus on inequalities and greater flexibility in home working will lead to accelerated improvements in levelling this balance in senior women leaders in the NHS? So before we direct to the rest of the panel, Joanna, do you would like to comment on the point that you'd wish that you've made during this podcast? Yeah, so I, I think it's been an interest. Um, you know, I've had uh, twins um, um, now 14. Um, and it, it was one thing starting with them when they were babies and I handed them over to somebody and came back to work. But as they get older and, and, and alongside that, I suppose, juggling um, ageing parents and all of the other things that happen in our lives. Um, I think as a woman um, within uh, a family and clearly I, my husband and I work very much as partners, but I think it does childcare and other things like that and the caring of, of, of older parents requires a level of, of juggling. Uh, I think that that for me is fact and it was just interesting that we are now 
with Amanda Pritchard, we have the first chief executive of nine in effect, but the first woman chief executive of the NHS. So it was one of the queries actually that came up in the 2013 survey um, as to when we'd have a woman leader for the NHS, which I'm pleased we have. But I suppose going through the experience of COVID and seeing the impact um, around increased flexibility and I, for me, uh, COVID really catapulted us into a context where people had to work from home um, and maintain um, and support the NHS and support the delivery of care. Um, and, and for me, I suppose in some ways, therefore, looking at as we come out of that, I, we're, not, we're not going back to where we started going into COVID. And for me, I think there are real opportunities to harness some of this um, and looking at greater flexibility and our approach to how people work, um, agile working or, or you know, um, flexible working to support um, women um, in, in achieving some of this balance. Uh, I think it's a real opportunity. Um, and there are many examples as well, looking at some of the research around some of the softer skills and that women bring as leaders um, to the table and the opportunity to harness some of that um, uh, and see more women coming into leadership roles supported as a result of COVID by different ways of working. That would be my premise. Brilliant. Thank you for that, Joanna. Uh, Lisa, I can see you have your hand up. Would you like to comment? I thought this was a really interesting question, Joanna. Thank you for posing it. And it's something that's been on my mind, I think, through COVID. Um, and I I, um, I progressed my career during that period and took on a more senior role with all those fears of the the juggle and, and how it would work. So um, I also have two children, the same as you, mine are a little younger, uh, six and three. I'm slightly worried that you say the juggle gets harder as they get older, but I'll ask that um, comment right now. When I was thinking about your question, um, I was thinking that absolutely more flexible working, I think, has supported women. But to me, I think the change has almost been the rebalance of responsibilities for that that juggle. So um, I found it interesting, not just for myself and my family, but looking across friends that actually the people who were uh, furloughed or not working over the COVID period were often the men in the family. And as you say, the, the NHS workforce is so predominantly women, um, equally teaching workforces, social work workforces. It was the women that I observed that were working over the COVID period. And actually I saw men taking greater responsibility for their families there, for the childcare and for making um, everything work. Uh, and for me personally as well, I feel that that impact has stayed. So making the week work, making our work schedules work around our family is as much my partner's responsibility now as it is mine. And I think that may be the lasting legacy that I think is really positive. Um, definitely the flexible working um, so I still do uh, two days a week from home. My partner's doing three days a week. And it means we we really share and we can we can balance the childcare um, around that. But no, I think it's um, a great opportunity for for women to make this change stick. I think I'll just go. Sorry, Alison, go ahead. Just sorry, I should have put my hand up there. But um, I think I'd just maybe also add something around um, the kind of teams culture leveling things out. So uh, what I notice is um, that social networking kind of side of things that potentially I wouldn't ha have I'd have less access to or wouldn't have access to because I'd have to get home and sort sort things out. Um, and uh, and there's also a cautiousness about, you know, if um, uh, people are going, say, to the pub after work or what have you about asking 
or asking women to to come with them that you know there's a bit of an anxiousness about some of that 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 people have shared about that uh, about doing that but I think that being behind Zooms and 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 Teams have, have taken that away, which means we're all communicating in the same way. We've we've kind of leveled leveled some of that, so there isn't an advantage um, actually to some people who can go and do that network and and those who can't. Um, over and it's it's been sustained over a sort of a good year to two years, so it's it's really helped people to feel leveled. <laughs> I think so that's the other I think I've I've noticed that's another benefit to to having worked in this way so um uh yeah oh, brilliant thank you Shona Allison uh, Joanna did you ever see your hand raised yeah so I I would agree with both um both Alison and Lisa I think for me um being an acute um we saw certainly I I had to come to work there was some question I could stay at home in a sense because um I was on Covid gold and you know everything that that entailed and I think um for many people um you know I remember driving down the roads and seeing barely anyone on the roads um as I went in and for many as you say Lisa of our friends there was an element of complete role reversal um actually in many cases because a lot of our friends were coming to work in the same vein. Um, I, I think the interesting um, elements around the fact that teams became a real leveller and, and I worked in a sense I'm working on a smaller site amongst the wider site at Northwick Park uh, or London Northwest um, and there was a lot of gravitation to pulling us into meetings at Northwick Park and I would spend many hours a day on the road and as you say then having to go home to to juggle with kids and things um, in the evenings um in, in many ways covid acted as that leveler where i didn't have to run up and get in and out of the car and navigate parking and tickets and everything else but was just on teams with all my colleagues um and and that freed up actually a huge amount of time and I had opportunities on, on occasions to work from home and in fact when I had Covid which you know many of us did you know when you got over the, the, the first part of it I actually was able to work from home um, but still had to stay isolated so there was all sorts of benefits and I think those impacts I think are are continuing um, alongside sort of sort of the the reality that actually home working is not a soft touch and I think before it was about that and I worked in community prior to working in acute um, and I think for me as well seeing the value of home working and the level of trust that developed and seeing the outputs and people being able to measure the impact of, of what people were doing um, uh, and much of the work that our workforce were doing from home was also a really important um, element um, of, of breaking those kind of some of those barriers and some of those taboos that I think have been there before. Oh, brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. It's something that gets brought up quite a lot with the terms of like the kind of the silver lining to COVID in terms of, you know, the working from home thing. Like you said, it accelerated that. A lot of companies didn't really trust their employees to do that. And I think now you've got the teams and it works so well. Uh, it does help with the work-life balance for a lot of people. And whether you prefer working from home, we're in the office, but having that option, I think, does help a lot of people. I know it helps me. I don't do all from home. I do a couple of days from home and I do find it very, very beneficial. Like you don't forget the traffic and that. Um, has anyone else got any more comments you'd like to add to that? I'm happy to move on. Let's move on. Fantastic. Um, so the next question is from Lisa. So Lisa says the recent report, Leadership for Collaborative and Inclusive Future, clearly signals the need for more collaborative behaviours within the healthcare system. 
Do we believe as women we are more socialised to this approach? And if so, it is it is. It is this the time to truly learn this opportunity. Lisa, would you, would you like to elaborate on that first before we direct to the rest of the panel? Thank you. Um, so other people may have seen there was a large report came out, I think it was last week, around the future of NHS leadership. Um, they called it a leadership for inclusive future. And, and I think it tied in very well with the introduction of the uh, legislation that will come to us on the 1st of July around uh, the, the new integration landscape. Um, my review of this document really talked to me about the importance of that culture of teamwork within the NHS, uh, cross-sectoral awareness and behavioural expectations of system working. Um, and there was definitely some critique in the report that the current environment is uh, rather unfriendly to that leadership approach um, and that we operate still within a performance management culture, but really called for that shift for us to achieve uh, the vision of integrated care systems and working together in different ways. So I think in posing this question, there's maybe two parts uh, to it that I'd be really interested in discussing with you. And I think it's debatable, are women more socialised to this collaborative approach? I definitely don't think it can be uh, put as a, a blanket rule, but the research evidence does suggest that early childhood socialisation uh, does teach us more as, as girls and then women to place value on relationships, about putting others' needs before our own and, and actually bringing people together around um, collaboration. Um, so if, if you can accept that as a position that, uh, whilst not in all cases, but there is a tendency to socialise to that approach. Um, I think my challenge is, is it time for us as women to really lean into the leadership opportunities that prevent, uh, presents for both ourselves and for our female colleagues? And I think in my early career, um, maybe you were taught to counter what might be your natural instincts and your socialisation sort of to to get somewhere to get to the top was about being tough it was about being ruthless it was about being very clear on what you wanted and what you needed and you'd prep for interviews talking about how much money you'd saved or which contracts you'd managed to do tough negotiation negotiations on but actually is it time to really embrace what may come more naturally and interviews should be less about talking about savings and more about how you've brought people together around a shared vision how you've moved partnerships forward uh, I'm definitely seeing more women coming into roles that are similar to mine leading partnerships um, and I think it is a, a chance to embrace this. Um, they are referred to sometimes as soft skills. I think we can recognise it as that. I think there's a tough part to it as well, which is about challenging the status quo and pushing that forward. And, and I think that would be part of the role of women leaders as well. Oh, brilliant. Thank you for sharing that, Lisa. Um, Alison, would you like to kick us off for that one? Yeah, it's it's interesting, actually. My, my, my background is in nursing, mental health nursing, and um, then went on through to, to doing improvement work. And now I'm leading on a hospital redevelopment, which is um, quite male dominated in the um, in, in, in a lot of respects. So in kind of commercial, but also in the estates um, side of things. But I have to say that my interview, so my interview was led, the person leading the new hospital programme is Natalie, um, Natalie Forrest, and she sat on my panel. My, the person I report to is a woman, and the interview was all about really cha 
testing and challenging values and about bringing people together and it was much more around that sort of softer side of things and even when I went for my informal discussion with them I said well you know I haven't had years of building things <laughs> what's uh, what's my chances and um, and and their response was no we, we need people who are collaborative we need people somebody who's you know got strong engagement um, uh, skills and um, we 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 really stand by our values and you know actually it was quite an unusual experience and it was something I hadn't um, you know it felt so strongly before when I applied for, for, for a post. Um, now I don't know it, the person who leads our organisation is a man so uh, you know I don't and I do believe that these things come from the top but I do definitely see a shift in what people are looking for um, when they're recruiting to senior posts now um, and, and I, 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 I do believe it's much uh, much more around those values around compassion collaboration um, uh, uh, and those things in my experience and that's certainly how I now recruit to our to our team so it does filter through to what to what we're doing um, so yeah I, I, I can see a shift and I don't know where that's come from but I can definitely feel it in what we're what I'm doing um, so yeah that's just to share with you my experience. No, it's good. That's good. It's good that you're seeing the shift. Um, do you have anything to say that to Lisa? Lisa? Sorry. Sorry, Lisa. Would you have anything to say what Alison just said? I think that's really positive that you're seeing the shift. And I'd absolutely um, echo that as my experience too. My interview was very much about how you influence without uh, direct control, how you bring people together. Yeah. I would say I, I do still see the counter in, in play and I feel we're operating almost on these two. So I, th I think there's definitely a groundswell for this skill set and an increased value placed on it. Although I do at times find when I'm talking about the importance of the partnership, maybe trying to slow the pace of some of that very traditional NHS top down, make it happen, make it happen and actually saying, no, we need time to build trust, to uh, show the value we're bringing to each other, to, to move at the pace the partnership want to. I have been told that sort of stuff doesn't cut the mustard. We need to see delivery. We need to. So I, I think both are in play. Um, and I think it's probably a challenge of people leading in this this system to to try and shift, shift, continue to shift that pendulum to towards the right balance. Uh, Joanna, are you seeing the shift? Like, what, what's your comments? <laughs> so my, my background um, is predominantly in acute. And I have to say, you know, I'm... I've seen the shift basically from competitive tendering being the end and serving notice being kind of in the drive for the bottom line. Um, um, pretty much being kind of a really significant driver of change and and improving and value for money to actually to the shift within collaboration is something I've been interested in in greater care for a long time. Um, and in fact, you know, uh, was part of the team working out of London Northwest and working within Harrow for a period on this. And for me, the systems leadership element, the need for the development of trusting relationships and understanding um, other sectors issues and their challenges as well. Um, you know how you can create a win win situation working together collaboratively. Um, uh, things that you're all pushing for and, and want to see happen. Um, but but actually delivering that with a workforce that absolutely knows and trusts each other, um, where you're developing those system skills in a sense of, of um, you know, developing 
the collaborative working, I think is absolutely pivotal. Um, and, and that means driving, I think, towards a different set of values. I think it's um, about delivering to a different set of standards and way of working. Um, it's interesting, we've just had a session talking about the development of the ICP, um, and there is a real tension between the requirement coming out of COVID, I think, for getting um, system change in place and seeing the material change in in what we're trying to do as an ICP and as place um, or the I integrated care system and place based partnerships, as well as um, as the need to shift culture and embracing that. Um, I think to the question um, that you're asking around collaboration, I think we do need to lean into it, Lisa, um, would be my view. Absolutely. Um, but we have also got to recognise the challenges of um, some of the, you know, the deficits we've come out of COVID with and how we can achieve that balance. Um, because standing still is not an option and, and that's the challenge, isn't it, as to how to actually um, get some of that happening. To say, though, that, you know, looking, I was looking at the Rockefeller Institute um, around, they have 16 standards um, that they uh, talk about for women. Um, or for leaders and and amongst some of those in terms of out of those um, 16, 12 of the 16 women on balance scored higher on um, their leadership skills within those and they include areas like taking initiative, um, areas like driving for results and the nurturing. So I think some of the harder as well as the softer edge, I was really interested to see it because I hadn't seen it broken down like that. Um, and and it was making me think about some of those skills that I think we can bring um, and utilise to support um, the agenda we're taking forward. Absolutely. And and support our teams, I think, as well, who've who've had a very, very tough few years. But I really recognise what you say within that as well. Joe. There's, there's some real challenges for the NHS, our elective backlogs, our um, need to restart preventative and primary care uh, services. Um, I'm not sure the public want to hear about us building trusts and trust and partnership in that context. So we know that's where we need to go for our long term change and and absolutely is it's balancing that also with the uh, the immediate need that we need to respond to yeah the inequalities and mental health yeah. all of those aspects absolutely yeah that's brilliant thank you all for sharing that i do appreciate it um i can see i'm quite shocked that they said about the collaboration being kind of trying to shift in more towards that one thing i found that we speak to people in nhs is that collaboration is quite common um as opposed to in the private sector where they're very closed off so that was very interesting for me to listen to and um, was quite surprised I'm not seeing that side of things. Um, it's OK, I'd like to move on to Alison's question. Um, so Alison said, have you had any women's related health issues that affects you at work? And if so, how have you managed to deal with them? Would you like to elaborate on that first, Alison? Yeah, I think um, I, I think we've all had sort of we've we've had maternity leave and, um, you know, I've had come back from maternity leave and been asked, you know, are you going to have another one? By um, by people when I've come back, and you know what that means. They're trying to size up, you know, where, where they're going to position you in an organisation, um, and um, and I guess recently, um, and I'm trying to, you know, we try and be more open about it, you know, menopausal issues. So um, we we've we've had um, a bit of awareness raising in our in our organisation um, around these issues, but um, actually. 
seeing some of the benefits of of that has been um, incredible. So, so a, a few weeks ago, I well, when I was when I was working from home and it was all behind the teams, I could have a fan on the desk and nobody knew and it was never an issue and, you know, I could hide it. And then all of a sudden we had to go back in. I was like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? Um, and, um, you know, and it, it felt uncomfortable to be around uh, and and to be at work while, you know, you're having a hot flush and, and what have you um, to do that, especially in a male environment. And I, I just was struck by when there was an awareness raising um, campaign in our in our trust a, a, around it, um, that there was uh, an occasion when I, you know, I'd got a hot flush, just took off my jacket and, and one of the people in, in the estate said, oh, shall I open the window for you? You know, like I, I can understand what you're going through. My wife is, you know, going through something similar and was able to talk about it. I nearly fell off my my chair, you know, um, and and I, and I think. Um, you know, sometimes I, might, I was reflecting whether some of the, the 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 uncomfortableness and barriers was was from me or whether it is from the organisation. But actually, um, it helped me to be more comfortable and confident at work. It really hampers your confidence when you have are going through some of those things and you feel, you know, you've got to hide it or you know people are looking at you differently or more awkwardly or um, and um, and actually having those conversations in an open way at work can can help. A, a lot of people's confidence and it's and it and, and we've had more conversations and other women have talked to me about about that and feeling it hampers them progressing um that them feeling like they can apply for things because they feel like there'll be an embarrassment if they go to a stakeholder meeting and and this happens and you know it's oh that's that woman who's sweating in the corner or having a hot flush you know and and it stops them and and i just wondered whether those conversations happen at uh, um in workplaces and the benefits of those conversations and should you know are, are people having those at work and making people feel more comfortable and actually the other stuff around you know if people don't sleep well at night um you know because of it as a result of it that you know changing people's working patterns and, and accommodating that so you get the best out of people so I was just wondering whether that was an issue that people talked about at work and 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 certainly in our work it's it has been and we did a campaign and it's been amazing because some people have said you know I've I've not wanted to say this but you know coming in in the morning is a nightmare because I don't sleep well at night and I'd rather work until six or seven in the evening if that's okay and it's like yeah of course it's okay but but we've not talked about it before um and 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 of course you get better performance. So I just wondered how those things, um, you know, if those are open discussions that happen in in workplaces, and um, and and what's the experience in other for, from other people? Oh, thank you for saying that, Alison. I do appreciate it. I know it's quite quite a first thing, but a lot of people go through that. You know, um, we have it in the workplace, and it's something discussed in our workplace. Um, I appreciate Joanna. You're quite limited on time. Are you able to pass uh, comments on that briefly? Or? Sure. Um, I really welcome this question. I think that that um, certainly I think women and um, child, you know, having children and maternity, um, it's it's much better understood and I think much better articulated and um, managed than I think um, subject like menopause. I think it is still, I think people are talking about it a lot more, but I do think it is something, you know, I was having a little look as you do kind of around the subject and it amongst many of my colleagues and friends, um, the impact is significant, um, but it's people tend to talk to you about it or tend to talk to me about it. Um, 
um, I would say, you know, this is something I'm going through. And for me, when I've, 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 I've come through the other side, but I didn't recognise it for ages um, going into menopause and um, was seeing impact in terms of confidence and, and a whole range of areas, you know, hot flushes, not sleeping um, uh, and, and the question of HRT and all of those elements and how you can adapt your work. And I think there's a lot more that we can do and um, support um, around that whole subject um, because actually it, it's a bit of a kind of a we don't quite know for when it's going to hit some people and some it's early and some it's the kind of, you know, the 45 to 55. I mean, I think the other interesting thing is that for a number of women as well, that often starts to impact as you're going into more senior roles. Yeah. And actually we're looking at some of the information and the evidence around that, you know, people do. Um, and they were saying something like 59% said they'd have significant impact. And that um, as a result, they didn't go about 25% said they didn't go for promotion when they could have done. And when we're talking, therefore, about adapting environments and supporting um, women um, and and women moving through that, I think there is a lot more that we could do. And I think having those conversations is really important. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing that, Joanna. Uh, Lisa, I can see you raise your hand. Would you like to comment? Thanks. Really struck by those statistics you just shared there, Joe and Alison. I think this is a really interesting topic to open. I don't think we talk about it enough. I think what I'm particularly struck by, mine still feels like quite a recent experience to me, the maternity leaves, that, um, that expecting, when are you having your second, that feeling like I felt I had um, a dead two years really between my children where I was not going to get a promotion there. Um, everyone was just waiting for me to have another child and actually feeling very liberated after I had completed my family and I felt, okay, I'm back. Um, but actually then the the impact of the menopause hits quite soon after that, doesn't it? Particularly if you've had, you have your children later in life. So actually, as a woman, you experience a very long period, maybe with some small gaps and windows in it, but where your career is is stunted as on, on the basis of your biology. Um, and I don't think I'd sort of thought about that that pathway before. Um, I definitely feel um, that, you know, I absolutely acknowledge that we probably don't talk about this in our work environment Um enough it would need it needs to be discussed more I think as women we are probably quite used to suffering these things in silence I know you know pregnancy health issues for me it was the exhaustion on coming back to work with very small children um I would sleep one or two hours a night sometimes yet you were absolutely expected to be in the office on your a game um, and continuing and and I very much felt no one wanted to hear that I'd had one hour sleep no, and it was it was not a good idea to to be saying that you just crack on, um, and and we and I think we learn then that that's that's the way to succeed to just pretend it's all not happening. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I must admit, obviously, you know, from from a male perspective, I'm really shocked to hear that. I mean, it sounds extremely challenging. Like <laughs> I can't even begin to imagine the challenges. Like you say, if you have children later in life, then you have the worries about the menopause. I don't know how you maintain focus in work. Um, you know, if you get a bad night's sleep, it's very difficult to try and function as usual. Um, is anything like to comment back, Alison? No, I mean, uh, you know, I, th I think I think the more that we can talk about it um, and make it more commonplace mm. um, uh, and see that, you know, it doesn't mean that we can do things less 
it means we just have different times when we do things and we just have to accommodate things differently and just change change the conversation a bit and that you know most people do it so I you know I, I, I you know we've we've heard from the other two guys here on the on the call about their own experiences and um yeah I think it's important to you know how much of this is impacting on people pushing themselves forward in leadership positions you know and um and and let's not let's not try and have that you know make that a barrier you know, reach out to people who are in similar positions and get your organisation to start talking about it and be more positive about it. And, you you know, you'd be surprised then about how many people more would, would be going for those positions because you're an organisation that is comfortable and, and supportive and and has an awareness about how these in, the, these things impact on, on your work every day and, and are supportive of you. So, yeah. I, I think um, talk about it, talk about it more, and it will increase the people who who you want going for those jobs. Excellent, thank you for sharing that, Alison. Um, so appreciate we've gone through everyone's questions now. Um, Joanna, I appreciate you might need to jump off. I will if you don't mind. Thank you of very course. much. It's been lovely to have this no. chat and um, to talk through things. Um, thank you yeah, very much, Joanna. Thank you very much. Nice Take, to meet you. Take okay. care. And bye. you too. Bye. Bye bye. Um, if you don't mind, so Alison put a question forward and it was quite an interesting one. So Alison said, describe your leadership style and how you lead others. Is it different from your male counterparts? Um, so Alison, would you like to elaborate on that and then see what Lisa's thoughts are? I thought it was a really interesting question. Yeah, I think um, I think I was just, you know, I, I, it's it's interesting as well with the whole, um, I don't want to open up a can of worms, but the whole Me Too um kind of what's happened during that phase i i do sense and i feel that um that some some male colleagues are much more cautious about um about how they are at work or you know the kinds of questions they ask or how that might be perceived whereas actually i think we have more freedom to you know probe a bit more in terms of you know how you know i you know i'll ask people a bit more about their home and a bit more about who they are and what they like and you know if they've got children or if they like going on you know and 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 to find out who they are as a person um but you know I've had conversations um you know uh with with people at work who you know men at work who would normally have those conversations if they have them in the pub or somewhere else but would be are much more cautious about about having them um at work and I think that that it's a bit of a shame because it it, it restricts people you know it you, I think you find out much more about somebody who you know who they are and what they bring to work why having those explore explorative conversations and being curious about who they are um and certainly that's that's where I come from I try and find out you know who's what is this what are the things that this person likes and doesn't you know there's a job description we all know there's a job description but actually if you've got a team of people those job descriptions are fluid depending on who likes to do what and who where their strengths are and and you know um what you might ask somebody to do in an afternoon because they're not a morning person or all of those sorts of things so uh, so i i i i think my leadership style is to be that curious kind of interested person in in the whole person and i I just wonder whether some of the things that have happened in the past around the whole Me Too has stifled um, the, the, uh, my male colleagues in being able to have 
the flexibility and ability to have those conversations. I don't know what your experience is, Lisa, but but that's that's what I'm I've seen, and I've had conversations with people at work around that, and they say, oh, I'd never ask, I'd never ask if she's married, or I'd never ask if she's got any children, because oh, you you know, people think I'm coming on to her, um, <laughs> you know, and so. <laughs> so yeah. It's really interesting. And with you saying this, I realised there are some senior male colleagues that I know nothing about. Um, absolutely nothing. Um, wives, husbands, children, where they live. I, I'm I feel I'm very similar to you. I like to um I like to really get a sense of a person, particularly if I'm working closely with them, really interested about where people live, what they've done at the weekend, yeah. get a sense of their family. Because it, it feels really important to me that this isn't just a transactional relationship I have with people. Um, healthcare is a very personal business and I think it you give some of yourself to it and and actually knowing and having connections with people is is really important to me within that. Um, but yeah, I think you're I think you're right. I I can't remember the last time a man asked me this question. I probably offer up uh, more information about my life than they um they care to hear. But that's probably me trying to reach out to make that connection in the absence of them proactively doing it. But yeah, definitely something I've observed too. Yeah. I'll be honest. I've never actually thought about what I ask my female colleagues, and I've been reflected back on that. I don't think I've ever asked that question. I've never actually done it consciously I think subconsciously I've not asked those questions because of what you said I think I don't know how it may be perceived and although we ask about the weekend and stuff you don't go into too much detail about wanting to know about their personal life I yeah. never actually thought about that so that was a very good point um no brilliant okay so we summed up all the questions there's one more thing that I'd like to ask so it came a bit of a common theme at the start when we started the podcasts um what was your favorite soft toy as a child <laughs> That's an interesting one, isn't it? I yes. uh, I had a teddy. Um, it was a well, it was a teddy that at one stage was bigger than me. Um, but as I grew older, I got bigger than it. So it was one my me my I had um myself, my sister, and and brother. There's three of us, and I don't know where this teddy came, but we all three of us got this um teddy. I grew up in Ireland, and at one stage we used to all share the same bed. Um, and then we got these teddies and for a while we all shared the same bed with these three teddies, which was quite un <laughs> unwieldy. <laughs> and in the end, one by one, we we got rid of, you know, we you know, we said they can't stay in the in the in the same bed. Um, but over time, over three or four years, um, you know, we we grew bigger than the teddies. So, um, yeah, so there's 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 three of us, three teddies and um, mine was um mine was that it's it was a it was a huge one and then it became a small one so, yeah. <laughs> I still got it now I haven't got it now no because we, we've moved from Ireland so we, we when I was 11 and um so we we didn't bring much of our stuff with us but um yeah, yeah. that that uh that was my cuddly toy <laughs> thank you for sharing how about you Lisa so I remembering I had a blanket that I think I dragged around which ended up becoming the <laughs> dog's blanket uh, much to my heartbreak my mum told me that yeah I was too old for the blanket and it needed to go to the dog I, I never had a teddy bear. I never had a doll. Really? And interestingly, neither of my daughters have ever attached to anything either. I think we are, I'm definitely, I'm not a sentimental person at all. Maybe it stems from that and maybe my children will be the same, but no. Bit up, yeah. I mean, I had two teddies and I must admit they're still in a drawer somewhere, uh, a tiger and a leopard. Um, so yeah, that was me. It's a nice way to kind of break down and come down from a quite a serious conversation. Yeah. Um, no, thank you very much for joining on this podcast. I hope you both enjoyed it. Yes, thank you. Thanks very, very much. much. Really Great. interesting. <laughs>